Well, hello, church family. This is uh, chapter two of Nehemiah. <clears throat> and if you remember that um, this week we're going to look about how, look at the life of Nehemiah in this particular chapter about how you can expect God to do great things in your life. Um, we talk about how the first thing that you need to do if you want to do good things or great things for the Lord and you, if you want to be used by God in a very unique and mighty way, you need to seize the opportunity. We saw how Nehemiah was praying for four months. He was um, asking the Lord and trying to figure out what would be the best approach and just late, waiting for the opportunity. And the opportunity presented itself in the form of the king noticing that he was, uh, he just looked sad and depressed and he asked him what was wrong and um, and he was scared and, and rightfully so. Uh, you uh, remember yesterday I said that uh, during that time, if if the cupbearer or anyone close to the king does not like the request um, or feels that, he, that he's being threatened by the request, then uh, what will happen is that they'll just kill the person. And Nehemiah uh, understood that his request actually goes against the decree that Artaxerxes made before and that uh, he felt that he got information from the Samaritans saying, oh, if you let the Jews rebuild the wall, rebuild the temple, or rebuild anything, that they'll just rebel against you. So there's that decree. So Nehemiah, is, like Esther in the past, is making now a, is now making a, a good petition saying that he wants to be able to go back uh, to fix this wall from his home. So that's the first thing. You have to seize the opportunity. You look for the opportunity, opportunity comes, and then you need to act on it. And um, the second one uh, that we're going to look at today is wisdom in planning wisdom in planning. First, you need to seize the opportunity. Second, you need wisdom in planning. We'll see that in verse 4 to 10. Verse 4, Then the king said to me, What would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And remember, I said that he didn't like walk away from the king uh, and just like, you know, figure, pray, do some sort of sacrifice and then come back. No, he, he just did a very quick prayer. He's been praying for four months. And he's praying just a very quick prayer right now for success and, and that the king will not kill him. It was a silent prayer and then um, he just prayed that, his, I, I trust that in his prayer that he prayed that his delivery would be well. So he prays and he explains his plan. I said to the king, if it pleases the king, if it, if it and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tomb, and I, that I may rebuild it. So you'll notice that the verbiage he uses, if it pleases the king, uh, he wants to be able to honor the king. Uh, he doesn't want to um, uh, usurp or, or play any position just because he's a second command. He doesn't want to play that, that uh, he doesn't want to leverage um, uh, his position, but rather he just wants, he's humbly asking the king if he can do this. Um, he wants to honor the king while having, while at the same time honoring the Lord. And this is uh, an incredibly wise move. He doesn't feel that he was entitled to anything. He was just wise in his presentation and it, and it won the king. And if you read the book of Proverbs, it speaks a lot about how the tongue, uh, how a person could speak. And if they speak in a very tactful way, you could have an audience with, with, with anyone and you can like sway people's emotions from one to the other or, uh, or it will just increase your likelihood that people will listen to you in the way that you, that you present yourself. And Nehemiah here presented um, wisely to the king his request. You see in verse 6 to 9. And then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I have a def and, and I gave him a definite time. 
again, uh, we, he, we don't see this in the text, uh, but it's around 12 years. He told them it might take this, it will take me this amount of time, about 12 years, to finish all of this. And, um, and, and it, it pleased the king. Uh, verse 7, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me for the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. So he's basically asking for some sort of document that allows him to um, go from one place to another without anyone harassing him. Verse 8, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's force, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, uh, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me, because the good hand of my God was on me. So the king gave him not only the opportunity, but he gave him the resources. Uh, Nehemiah uh, is going to be gone for a long time, in 12 years, and he's giving him all the resources. He's essentially asking him for this, like, super long sabbatical, like an all-expense pay leave. And even for his, um, you know, his request to build this thing, he has such good connections with Nehemiah. Nehemiah was such a faithful and loyal servant to the king that he does this. He gives him requests. He gives him, like, you need, he said, I need, like, lumber for and, and things to build. And then the king's like, okay. The king granted them to, and, and Nehemiah doesn't, uh, doesn't think, uh, doesn't think, oh, look how tactful or wise I am, but he actually praises the Lord. He says, the good hand of my God was on me. He understands that every form of success in his life was because of the Lord's providentially working through everything. He knew that, yes, he was faithful in acting, but, but more faithful than his action is God's faithful action. And he, and he, and he sees that. Uh, God proves his faithfulness through faithful men. Uh, verse 10. Uh, oh, verse, uh, verse 9. Then I came to governors of the province beyond the river and gave the king's letter. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. When Sanbal, the Horonites, and Tobiah, the Ammonite officials heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. Again, this is um, opposition that comes up. And, uh, and these opposition, as I said back in Ezra, were you know Samaritan people that wanted to be part of the temple, but they were asked to leave, not because of their ethnicity, but because of the, uh, the religion that they held to. Uh, the Israelites understood that their sin of, of pagan worship is what got them into this mess, uh, so they didn't want to fall into it again. And then that was the right thing to do. And then faithfulness, though, faithfulness to the Lord often will, uh, will result in opposition. And you see that in uh, John 16, where Jesus said that when, when he leaves, there will be people that, are without, that want to persecute and kill them because they uh, hated the Lord. And um, persecution is always going to come for those who um, uh, who are going to be faithful to the Lord and they want to do unique and amazing things. If you think about every any missionary that you know in every country that they go to, there's bound to be people that's going to be opposition. Whether it's local um, people that think are suspicious of Christians or just the government as a whole that that is anti-Christ, um, you'll see that. In order for missionaries to be effective, they are, they are going to face oppositions. And that's just a normal part of Christianity, that if you want to be used by God, you're, you are going to have opposition in your way. Nothing in life is going to be smooth sailing. So whether it's in ministry, 
uh, there are going to be things where you're going to have to work with difficult people, uh, whether they're non-believers or believers. Uh, you're going to have to uh, figure out ways to, to tactfully maneuver and, and think through the situations. And, and the same thing outside the church, in your, in your workplace, in life, there's going to be things that's going to be difficult. Um, and don't give up. If this is something that you know that uh, the Lord's called you to do, you must keep going. As you pray and trust the Lord in all things, uh, you go and then you act on it. And I'm sure Nehemiah had planned this. He probably saw this happen. He knew about the people, these Samaritans. Um, and during the four months he was fasting, he was praying, he was fasting and praying and then also planning as well. Uh, he trusted and thought through everything that there is to know so that when he acted and we were speaking to the king, he presented his case and his needs. And when, he, and when people came along uh, uh, that were opposing him, he knew how to act. And we'll see this uh, throughout the rest of the book, that every single time there was opposition, Nehemiah was ready. He wasn't someone that just gave up quickly. And that is something for us to, for as well. If you want to be used by God mightily in a very unique way, you must be willing to face opposition. And you must be willing to ground yourself in your convictions and then live upon it. I think sometimes Christians are so too easily swayed because we think, well, we need to turn the left cheek um, or, you know, let other people kind of like stomp over us. And that's in the wrong context on certain things. If it's conviction, if it's biblical convictions, if it's things that are honoring to the Lord, you need to stand firm in those things. Yeah, there are things you could defer, but some things, especially things that are pertaining to God's kingdom, you need to stand firm on your convictions. And we see that. Nehemiah was here. He stood, um, he, he was afraid, and that and just because you're bold doesn't mean that you can't be fearful at the same time. Boldness is acting upon those convictions. You can still be scared, and being afraid is not inherently sinful. Um, cowardly is meaning that you act upon those fear and uh, rejecting everything, making compromises. That's a sin. But if you are faithful to the Lord, even if it's hard and it's scary, and you act upon that faith, God will use you in very unique ways. Um, again, I, I mentioned missionaries. A lot of missionaries I know, a lot of uh, missionaries you read in church history, it's not easy. You know, there's no missionary that thinks to themselves, oh, well, I'm going to do this magnificent thing for the Lord and it's just going to be a smooth sailing. You know, there are some people, uh, a lot of them, all of them, struggle in different ways. Uh, but they see those opposition as something that requires them to trust in the Lord more. Uh, they've been praying and praying, and now they're acting upon it. And they continue to trust that the Lord will sustain them through all things. And that's what Nehemiah does, does here. He, he plans during this four months of prayer, and then when the opportunity comes, he seizes it, he explains his plan, and he continues with his plan. And opposition comes, and he knows how to deal with that as well. So if you want to be used by God in a very unique way, the first thing we need is to seize the opportunity. And second, you need to have wisdom in your planning so that when opposition and, and situations present itself, you will know how to act. Um, which can lead to our last point, which we'll see tomorrow, is to act in boldness. Uh, we'll see how Nehemiah uh, acts in boldness um, and how because of his faithfulness and how he acts boldly, the Lord uses him to help rebuild the wall. Thank you for listening and hope this is helpful. Have a nice day.